0: We produce three hundred million tons of plastic every year, between eight and fourteen million tons of plastic go into the ocean every year. Plastic continues to exist forever. It just breaks down into smaller pieces and ultimately in the in the ocean it ends up as being plastic dust. These tiny, tiny, tiny pieces of plastic, which eventually even plankton can eat. So once they get into like fish, plankton, get into the food system, It's horrific. There's dolphins now dying because they've got such a high level of plastic toxicity in their system that they're dying from that. One million seabirds die a year from ocean plastic. The parents see plastic floating on the ocean and think it's fish. They pick up the plastic and they feed it to their children. And the baby's stomachs get so full of plastic that they can't function, so they die. It's from starvation because they can't eat normal food because their stomach is full of plastic. I know it's like really sad and depressing, guys, but it's what's happening, so we need to know about it and not close close our ears.
1: That's Zana Van Dyke. And this is the Proof Podcast. This week on the Plant Proof Podcast, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Zana Van Dyke at her home in Wimbledon. Zana
2: is perhaps most well known for being a prominent social media influencer, but she is so, so much more than that. She really has her hands full and to
1: me epitomises what it means to be a motivated, conscious, inspiring, and courageous modern day female vegan. So without further ado, I will let Zana share her story and tell us how she went from a young girl from Yorkshire in the UK raised on a typical British diet and destined for a long career in speech therapy, to a global brand ambassador for Adidas,
2: an entrepreneur, an author, and an advocate for a plant-based and
1: reduced waste lifestyle. and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. In line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Zana
2: Van Dyke.
0: You nailed that.
2: Welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast.
0: Yay! <laughs> I'm go. very impressed. I'm so impressed. Nobody gets that.
2: Now, Zana, you are the official ambassador of Adidas. Mm-hmm. You, you're you super passionate. You're vocal about uh, reducing waste, in particular plastic. You, you have a sustainable swimwear brand, Stay Wild, a book titled Strong. You've created the Girl Gains Movement along with Two Girlfriends. And in addition to that, Th- with the same girls, you have the BBC-hosted Fit and Fearless podcast, which is all about educating, inspiring, and empowering women. You know your stuff. The list is going to go on. So, On top of this, you are a personal trainer, a girlfriend to Anthony, and a regular speaker at health events. You You run cooking workshops, business talks. You're a scuba diver, and you've done work with the Sea Shepherds. An avid eater, all round superwoman. And <laughs> I, I have no idea how you do all of this, but I'm excited. And I know the listeners will be to learn about your story and motivations, what truly makes you tick, and how you manage to fit all that into one day.
0: Well, thank you. That is a fantastic introduction. You've tooted my horn, and I enjoyed it. So, thank you very much for that. <laughs> uh, <so laughs> yeah, I'm more than happy to talk about any or all of the above. So, let's do it.
2: Well, let's let's learn about how all of these these passions started. So, did you? We're, we're in London now, just to, to set the scene. We are not far from Wimbledon, or we
0: literally in? we're in Wimbledon.
2: We're in Wimbledon, and the, and Wimbledon's on.
0: It is. It's busy right now.
2: Think, I think I saw Serena Williams won. That was her comeback game. So she's back oh, yeah. out there. She's been playing forever.
0: Mate, I don't know anything about tennis. For somebody <laughs> who lives next to Wimbledon, I know nothing. Also, the World Cup's happening right now. Not clue, what's going on.
2: I watched Clueless. Things. Well, that is clueless because yeah. well, England, England won last night.
0: I'm sure you heard it.
2: In a penalty shootout against Colombia. So even I know that.
0: No, I knew that bit.
2: And I'm, a, and bit. I'm a stupid Australian. So. <laughs> okay, so let's let's find back the clock.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: You, as I said, we're in Wimbledon now, but where did you grow up? Yorkshire. Have you heard of Yorkshire? I have heard of it. I have no idea where it is. It's the north of the country. So it's up in the countryside,
0: like up north. That's all I'll say. It's just up north. It's beautiful, like rolling green hills, got a bit of coast. I love it. I literally love Yorkshire. So yeah, I grew up in the north on a small holding kind of farm kind of thing. With my parents and my brother, and multiple sheep, cats, dogs, horses, chickens.
2: Is that is that near um, Newcastle?
0: Below Newcastle.
2: Below Newcastle. Yeah, so you would have you would have watched a bit of Jersey Shore.
0: Yeah, I used to go party in Newcastle.
2: Geordie Shore, Geordie Shore.
0: Yeah, you
2: used yeah. to go party there.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and as a as a kid growing up, were you sort of part of a typical family in terms mm-hmm. of you know British values beliefs? eating, health, fitness, all that sort of stuff?
0: Very like home-cooked, wholesome food, everything made from scratch. Although when I got the opportunity to cook for myself, it was like pasta with cheese, you know, <laughs> or chicken nuggets and chips. But when my parents cooked or my mum cooked specifically, it was just like a homemade pie and veg, meat and two veg sort of vibe. So yeah, very traditional.
2: And were you were you interested in, in sport and fitness and sort of activity growing up? No,
0: no. I used to write fake notes so I didn't have to go to sport at school. Yeah. Like, I just hate sports so much. I literally hate it. I didn't get into sport until I was like 21.
2: So what what, were, your, what were you preferring to do with your sort of spare time? and Study. Study.
0: Yeah, I've always been like academic. Really, really academic. So yeah, and actually... The reason why I got into fitness was because at university, I needed a distraction from being so academic. I was like, I need to have something else to do except study. So yeah, that's actually when I got into it when I was at university. And
2: what were you studying at university? And I guess through high school, did you know what you aspired to do in terms of a career?
0: I kind of knew. I knew I wanted to help people. That was the goal. I was like, I'm not here to do things just for myself. So when you go to a careers advisor and you say you want to help people, they're like, become a therapist, become a doctor, become this, become that. Anyway, my auntie ended up having a speech therapist. So a speech therapist is somebody who likes, looks after people who maybe have dementia or a stroke and they can't talk. And I was like, that's a really cool job. It combines science, which I'm good at, with helping people, which is what I want to do. So I went and studied speech science and speech and language therapy for four years. Wow. And became a fully qualified SLT specializing in stroke rehabilitation.
2: Yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah, I did that for a while.
2: And, and you finished when you finished the degree, did you go and work clinically or no?
0: No, because at uni, I had built this blog as a hobby on the side. So I started to get into fitness, as I said, to distract myself from studying all the time. And I actually got really into it. And then I made an Instagram when I was at uni thinking, oh, I'll have this thing that I do on the side. It's a bit fun. And it ended up growing because not really anybody was doing it back then. This is like six, six or more years ago.
2: And that's the current um, Zana Van Dyke. Dyke.
0: But then it was called Blonde
2: Health. So don't judge me. Um, But yeah. (laughs) I'm going to guess that. I mean, I may may be wrong, but I wouldn't think there'd be too many other Zana Van Dykes out there. No, I never met one. So Um, That Instagram handle was obviously available.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it did did used to be Blonde Health. So because my hair is very blonde, guys, don't know me. My hair is very blonde. So it used to be Blonde Health. And I switched it to Zana Van Dyke when I left uni. So, yeah, basically it grew to the point that when I left uni, I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I could give this whole fitness thing a go because I've got opportunities now, which I didn't think I'd ever have. Um, So I said to my parents, give me one year and let me prove myself to you. I'll make it work. And I ended up moving to London, qualifying as a personal trainer. And working full time, and then saying I'm gonna make this blogging thing work along the side, and within a year it had. And I was by the end of one year, I was probably personal training like four days a week, blogging three days a week, and now I just personal train for fun, and then wow. do all the bloggy stuff for full time. And
2: when you were at university and you first started the social media profile, Blonde yeah, Blonde Health, yeah. Do you remember or recall the type of content, what you were posting, and you know how were people engaging with that? Because there was obviously a lot less sort of health influences and people out there putting up such information. Yeah. What was, what was that like?
0: It was just food. And I never shared my face for like the first year. I didn't really share anything about me because I just didn't think that's what you did. You know, I was yeah. like, it's online. People could find out who I am. <laughs> um, so I literally just shared like plates of food and then occasionally like progress updates, but never my face because I just didn't want people to see what I look like. I don't know. It's very, it's just such a different. Time to what it is now, where everything's so personal online. But yeah, it was very like impersonal. And then actually, once I started sharing more about who I am and what my interests were, my personal journey, then that's when it started to grow really fast. So that's one thing I always say to people: like, open up and share who you are as a person, your personality, and people invest in that more than just faceless photos. You know,
2: so they can, I guess, truly feel like they're connecting with someone.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly.
2: Even though it's through a screen, they just get that greater sense of
0: connection connection really. especially now with instagram stories you can see people's personalities okay. which like for me my biggest engagement is on my instagram stories because people because i just have a bit of banter on there so people seem to like that
2: and it's quite humorous
0: yeah <laughs> i try
2: <laughs> okay so you, you 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 took the plunge you moved to london
0: yes and
2: you your parents gave you this one year to, to give it a go yeah i'm assuming you never looked back
0: no, I, I did when I was so as a security blanket because I knew my parents like I'm very academic. I can study f- as much as I want, like I l- enjoy studying and my parents favored a more academic route. So to kind of make them happy and give myself a fallback, I applied for master's degrees and I got some offers. So my backup was if in that first year it doesn't work, I had an offer from Oxford Brooks to go and study sports nutrition. So I was going to go to uni and do that. But then it got to August and the course was going to start in September. And I was like, nah. <laughs> and the, the offer's still there. I just have deferred it like four years in a row. <laughs> but no, I don't think I'm ever going to take it now. But um, I did have like a backup. So
2: yeah,
0: I was trying to be savvy.
2: <laughs> and the, the personal training when you, when you first started out doing that, was that you were working at like a local gym in, in London?
0: Yeah. So I worked, I was lucky enough that um, my friend introduced me to the owner of a boutique gym in Kensington, which is like a very nice area of London if you don't know London very well. So it meant that I could actually charge a good price. So I was able to be able to make a living and survive in London because London is a very expensive place to live. So I was very lucky that I fell on my feet with a studio where you could actually do a good hourly rate.
2: And, And what sort of clients were you typically seeing there?
0: It's Kensington. So lots of yummy mummies, lots of just like people who can come and train with you at 11am. Do you know what I mean? Like that's a certain caliber of people. So yeah, it was, it was a mixture. But also the good thing was that I did have my social media. So I did get a lot of people who already followed me, who wanted to come and train with me. And that was amazing. It made it so much easier to build a client base than literally starting from scratch. So social media definitely helped me build up my...
2: And do, do you remember at that stage when you sort of just started personal training, the size of the community that you you had on social media?
0: Probably like 60,000 people. Okay. Which back then was massive. Yeah. Like massive. And that
2: was largely, you know, British, yeah, British followers? Yeah, B-
0: British females. Yeah. Yeah, mostly. It's fairly
2: targeted. Yeah. <laughs> has it just, has it been sort of a progressive increase since then in terms of building that social media profile and everything else that we discussed in terms of you know, these ambassadorships with Adidas added mm. ass and things like that?
0: I've been a very slow and steady person. And there's been other people that I've seen this industry who have come on the scene and just like literally absolutely exploded. There tend to be people who have a certain body type, a body type which I don't have, but they come on and they just, whoa, like just explode overnight. And I'm like, good on you, mate. I've never had that. And I kind of value the fact that I haven't because the people who've been with me have been with me for years a lot of the time. And also like my brand is very authentic to me. And it's not something which is going to explode because I don't do anything. I don't really follow trends that much. Like Mm. there's this big trend for before and after photos and big trend for this or for that. And I've never done any of that. And I know that if I had, I would have exploded. And like I've seen it happen, but I didn't want to dip my toe into that because I figured I'd rather just grow slow and steady. And like I always think to myself because I get a lot of imposter syndrome, right? I get a lot of like, oh my God, why me? Why is this happening? But then I always think, would Adidas want to work with somebody who didn't have an authentic brand? Mm. No. Okay, you must be doing all right. Because I like, because <laughs> honestly, yeah, right. it's like you, you worry about, am I doing it right? Am I saying the right thing? Am I working with the right people? What, what is my brand? I mean, when you run everything yourself, it's like, it's definitely get a sense of imposter syndrome. So for me, it's kind of like a constant state of reassurance. Like, yeah and the people who are with me are engaged and they've been with me for a while so
2: and i think um i mean to your point when i said i was coming to london yeah and and mentioned that i was going to do some podcasts here mm-hmm. i was i the the i must have had a handful or even more probably 10 people who suggested you and it was all like absolutely love her i've been following her for years you need to i need to know her story no. Yay! It wasn't wasn't just like a tag. It was like with a detailed description of why I needed to connect with you. Oh my
0: God, that's amazing. Okay, okay. that's nice. Thanks. Helped to combat my imposter syndrome again. So I appreciate that.
2: (laughs) And let's move on slightly to other things that you're doing now. Yeah. The BBC hosting and the Girl Gains movement. How how did this start?
0: Oh God, this is a long one. But I'm going to, I'm going to, Round it up real quick. So basically, we started the Girl Games movement like three and a half years ago. And it's a community all about bringing women together, educating, empowering, and inspiring them. And it started with events. It's me and two best mates. It's like a business we started, basically. And it's about bringing women together at events. And it's never been for profit. Girl Games, does. we don't do profit. It's all about creating a community. So yeah, we, we started doing local events. They grew. They started being like pretty big. We had one where we had over 100 people. And we were like, oh, maybe we can make this a bit more global. I ended up going to Australia, met a girl and we actually went to Bondi Beach. We had brunch and she asked if she could meet up with me when I was out there. And she ended up saying like, Girl Gains has changed my life.
1: Yeah.
0: I was like, whoa, okay, what? And then we had this big conversation and I just said, Steph, do you want to be our first global ambassador? Like somebody who's in a different country who represents Girl Gains. And from then on, we've been signing Girl Gains ambassadors in inverted commas across the globe who do events in their local community to try and bring together women and educate them about fitness in a more like empowering, sustainable way rather than like weight loss and fad diets. It's like sustainable, responsible nutrition and fitness. And that's grown now. So we have like over 30 ambassadors from like Dubai to America, to France, to Switzerland, to Sydney. We have three in Australia now. So cool. Um, yeah. And it's the most real, amazing thing. And it's incredible because we have girls in Australia. Australia is like our most successful community where they have literally connected and now lived together. Like girls who've met through Girl Games and are now best friends, like wow. they've been to each other's weddings. And they like, I think there's a lot of expats from the UK go to Australia and feel a little bit lost. And the Girl Games community gave them that opportunity to meet other women with a common interest. And then they've just made lifelong friends. So that's freaking awesome. And then off the back of that, the BBC, so I don't know if you guys have heard the BBC, if you're like Australian or American, but it's like this, this broadcasting TV network people um, in the UK. And they approached us and said, hey, do you want to host a BBC podcast? We were like, hell to the, yeah, I not just swear on yeah, this. You can
2: swear. Fuck
0: yeah. yes, we will host a podcast for you. Like, oh my God, the BBC. So they got in touch and we were like, okay, we're just thinking it's some sort of joke. Like this isn't actually going to happen. Well, here we are on series two. So we're now doing our second series of podcasts with them. It's called Fit and Fearless. And it's all about educating, empowering and inspiring women about sustainable and responsible fitness and nutrition. And we get like awesome guests on. So yeah, Girl Gains is amazing.
2: And that's on iTunes, anywhere anywhere yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just search Fit and Fearless. Yeah.
0: Feel bad plugging my own podcast on your podcast. But yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Thank you.
2: That's what today's yeah. about.
0: Thanks. So yeah, like that's, that's the Girl Gains movement. And I'm incredibly proud of it. And it's been going on for such a long time, but I feel like it just grows organically and that we don't have to push it that much because it's just something which speaks to people. So that feels really nice.
2: Take us through one of these events overseas that the ambassadors are running. Yeah. What would a typical Girl Gains event, you know, consist of?
0: It can be literally whatever the ambassador wants it to be. So for example, Steph who's in Australia. She has done ones where me and me and tally one of the other co-founders were in sydney and we came in and did a talk and then we've done we've done workouts together she'll have other experts come in and do talks workouts maybe people go to a class together go to brunch together go to the park together it can be as formal or as informal as the ambassador wants because we have ambassadors in the uk who will just organize like a group of girls going for brunch together and like that's as much of a community as it is all going to a workout talk or class together so it literally varies it depends on what the ambassador wants to do,
2: really. And if someone listening wanted to get involved, yeah. just Google Girl Games and.
0: Slide into the DMs. You can. Slide on in like a dolphin, all right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. And you, you said that you met, you met this uh, Steph in, and you had brunch with her in, in Bondi. Yeah. Where was that at? Yeah. Eh?
0: I don't know. I don't know I don't what it was mind. called. It's, this was like two and a half. This is my first time going to, second time going to Australia. First time going to Australia. So it's like two and a half, three years ago. Long time ago.
2: Can't remember. Sorry. There's quite a few places there.
0: There is now. Oh. But I do go to Australia every year, guys. I'm obsessed. <laughs> Literally obsessed.
2: And the, the sustainable swimwear. Yes. So you've got your own business. You yeah. started that?
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: I have. Tell, no. tell, us, tell us about that. What inspired it? How you make it? Why is it sustainable?
0: Basically, I do a lot of stuff surrounding sustainability now. That's a whole different conversation. It's a big one. But yeah, like that's a big passion point of mine now. And I feel like there's not enough people talking about it in the UK. Um, and I've been doing loads of this stuff recently. I've been doing beach cleans all over the world, from like Bali to Hawaii to Jamaica to everywhere I ever go. I do a beach clean and trying to raise awareness of the marine plastic issue I started making content for BBC Earth related to marine plastic and did talks at all kinds of cool places related to marine plastic. And I was like, damn, I guess I'm somebody who does this now. So maybe I should try and turn that into something which is a real force for change. So I basically thought to myself, I want to do something where I turn ocean plastic into something positive. Like, what do you do with all the marine plastic you collect, just put it into a landfill. Why not do something with it? And I discovered Econile, which is a fabric where they turn fishing nets they found in the ocean into fabric, which you can use for wear, swimwear, whatever you want to use it for. And I thought, right, swimwear it is. So me and I found a business partner, Natalie, she has the same passion as me. She's always wanted to do swimwear. She cares about the ocean. It just all fell into place. And we thought, why? Right, let's just do it. And it's very scary. How the hell does somebody set up a business? And like, I've set up, I've got my own business. I've got the girl games business. That's already two. But like, how do you set up an actual clothing business? Like, we had no idea. The whole thing is literally guesswork. Like, every single thing that we're doing, we're like, yeah, let's just Google it. And then, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then call someone and work it out. And we've been so lucky in the sense that a lot of people have volunteered. So, people have heard about what we're doing and they've been like, oh, I want to help you do that SEO on your website. Oh, I want to help you do your marketing and PR. Oh, I have a lot of knowledge about fabrics and swimwear and how they last in chlorine and the most random things which you don't even realize. So yeah, it's it's uh, we've been very lucky with people reaching out, but it's a very tough, tough thing to do to build a business out of nothing when you have no idea how to run a clothing business. But we're doing it. It's called Stay Wild Swim. It's made of recycled ocean plastic. It's going to be premium because everything is so sustainable, it actually hurts. So like all our packaging is recycled and recyclable. Even even our hygiene liners are made of a plant polymer rather than plastic polymer. Everything is made, handmade in the UK in London at a factory who takes people from disadvantaged backgrounds and trains them in sewing and clothes making. Everything has been thought of and we're even stocking like Guppy Friends, which are a Bag which catches microplastics, which the swimwear will release when it's washed. So then there's no plastic pollution off the back of the swimwear. So we're literally trying to think of everything. I'm sure there's something we've missed, but we're trying to make it as sustainable as possible in every element because there's not enough brands like that. There's nothing on the British market which is ticking all those boxes, and we wanted to be that brand. So, so I just rambled on. No, I've got a couple questions. Okay, hit me, hit me.
2: (laughs) Number one. Yes. I mean, what, what are the most popular beaches in in um in the UK that girls would be wearing the bikinis to?
0: I mean, it's not very hot here, yeah. but Brighton. Brighton. Bournemouth. Okay. That's about it.
2: Or if they're traveling through Europe.
0: There's many beaches. You'd probably go down to Cornwall or Newquay and go down there. There's like amazing beaches. To be fair, the whole British coastline, you could go up to Northumberland. So if you're from England, you're going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> go up to Bamburgh, Dunstanborough, like you can go anywhere. There's amazing beaches. But if all I, over if the I wanted to get
2: to a beach this week, where would you Brighton. Brighton.
0: Yeah, it's just like a two-hour train ride away.
2: Okay. And wh- where are you up to now? Is this the first range which is you're working on now?
0: Yeah, we're working on the first collection. We're currently finishing up our sampling process. So we decided to launch it on social media now rather than when everything is finished because we wanted to make everybody feel like they're part of the process. So we're having people choose the colours with us. We're having people name the designs for us. We're having people literally feedback on everything, like sizing, strap thickness, like everything, because it's not just for us. We want the consumers Mm. to really enjoy the product. So it feels much more authentic to share the whole process. And like who shares how they build a business? People are so hush hush about this is how I built my business. I'm like, I'm more than happy to talk about it because if more sustainable brands can be built, then I'm happy. So yeah, I just wanted to share the process and hopefully inspire other people to do something
2: positive and have you have you had talking about how you're building it? Have you had any bang your head against the door moments where you're like, "Oh, what is going on? How do we do this? This is a big hurdle
0: yeah, so finding factories which meet our ethical standards, yes, finding distributors who will handle a small startup business, yes, finding hygiene liners which aren't plastic, yes, all of these things are like, "Oh my God, you're banging your head against the wall. How are we going to do this but make it work, make it work. So yeah, I think there's lots of hurdles. The good thing is in terms of like, we don't have any problems with investors and stuff. We're self-funded. So that is very scary because it's literally our money on the line and we're paying for everything out of your pocket and you just don't know if it's going to come back. Of course, fingers crossed it all is. But um, yeah, like that's one, something which we've avoided because I've listened to a lot of podcasts where people talk about investors and issues and shares and I'm Mm. like, no, we'll just fund ourselves. So that's one thing we have
2: avoided. And I guess it's one less pressure initially. You yeah. do it at your own pace and you don't have something exactly. to answer to it. Yeah,
0: there's nobody trying to keep us accountable except ourselves. And so. if
2: you want an investor later, once you've gone and got heaps of runs on the board, then...
0: That's the plan, maybe one day down the line.
2: And in terms of buying the swimwear,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it sounds like, you, know, you mentioned distributors, so you're wanting to sell both in-store and online or what's the...
0: Probably be online for the first few collections. We do have some places we'd like to be stocked in the future. Also, that would help with shipping because we want to do carbon neutral shipping. So that means we'll only really be able to do UK and Europe. And a lot of my my audience and our audience collectively is from USA and Australia. So if we want to do worldwide shipping, it might be best to partner with somebody else who can do that because anything that we ship will be 100% carbon neutral. So
2: Fascinating. Yeah. So, I mean, all of this is inspired by your passion for reducing wasted mm-hmm. plastic in the ocean mm-hmm. what was it like a moment where you like walking on the beach and you saw something and you're like this is not right or was it a documentary or like, how did how did you shape that sort of passion
0: so as you said earlier i'm an ambassador for adidas and basically they took me to new york last june to see the launch of the first parlay trainer which is the adidas trainer made of recycled ocean plastic and while I was there, I went to a dinner and a talk with the founder of Parlay, which is a charity based around fighting ocean plastic, and the founder of Sea Shepherd, Captain Paul Watson, who was an absolute living legend. And I was like, oh my God, these two people are incredible. And the way that they spoke literally just blew my mind. And I left that dinner thinking, I have to change and I have to know more about this whole marine plastic issue. They were just basically, they gave an educational talk about these issues. And I went home and I thought, right, I'm going to learn about this. The first thing I found was A Plastic Ocean, the documentary. I watched that, cried my eyes out. um, And then, have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Oh my God, watch it. So as soon as you watch that, like you can't, you can't go back. Um, So I watched that and then my life was changed. I was like, okay, plastic is something I'm going to be fighting. And I was very hesitant at first to talk about it because my whole brand had been based on Fitness, food, smoothies, squats, female empowerment, body confidence, like everything to do with health and wellness and that sort of thing. And I'd never spoken really about, I've spoken about veganism, but i had been very, very subtle mm. for the most part with that.
2: You don't put a lot of labeling on it.
0: Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I don't, I've never been like super vegan.
2: No, no, it's more of just a lot. I can see that. Anyway.
0: Yeah. It's, it's just like who I am. Style. Yeah. It's who I am. It's what I do. And like, I did that for the environment. And then eventually for animals and health, but mostly for the environment. And I spoke about that when I first did it. And then it kind of like, it's just, I am vegan. People know that I don't talk about it that much. Um, so I'd never really had spoken about a big issue like plastic before. And it's a very scary thing to do. And like I spoke to my agent and I said, I'm going to start talking about this thing called marine plastic pollution. And I don't know how people are going to take that. And they're like, mm, Zana, do you think it's a good idea for you to be talking about such controversial issues? And they got really funny about the whole vegan thing as well. I think just when you've got a big brand, if you then start talking about controversial things like veganism, environmentalism, climate change, it can be a bit risky for your brand, right?
2: No, no, no. I mean, I can, I can understand that because they worry that, you know, for certain people, it might sort of alienate them or catch them off guard.
0: Yeah. And also it means I can't work with a lot of brands. Mm-hmm. From a business perspective, I can't work with anything in single use plastic, blah, 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 blah. It means that I can't make as much money, but I don't care. I'd rather do something which I authentically believe in. So, and they now love it. My agent's agent. like, so oh my said, God. This is
2: my values. This is my beliefs. This yeah. Is what I stand for.
0: Exactly. And like, they can tell that I'm doing everything that's in line with my beliefs. And also it's opened more doors than it's closed, opened so many more doors than it's closed. So very much happy to be owning this space and talking about this issue. Anyway, I feel like I've gone gone off on a tangent. So anyway, I started talking about (laughs) plastic pollution on social media. And the real turning point was I spoke about it in dribs and drabs. And at the end of last year, I did a beach clean in Jamaica. And I just did it because I saw a beach and it was dirty. And I was like, I'm just going to do a beach clean. I didn't really think anything of it. And then my boyfriend was like, you should take a photo and share this and tell people about what you did. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Took a photo, posted it. It's my most liked photo I've ever posted. It just blew up for me. And every spoke about it, even got into some online media. People were writing about it, saying this blogger is talking about plastic pollution, blah, blah, blah. I was thinking, oh, damn, like people care. And this was just after Blue Planet 2 had come out. Have you heard of Blue Planet 2? I've
2: got to get on these documentaries.
0: Oh my God. Oh, my God. Blue Planet 2 is my favorite documentary series ever. It's with David Attenborough, who is a living legend. My ultimate hero must meet him. And it's amazing. Like the whole of the UK watched this series because it's on BBC One, the main TV channel. And everybody had watched it. And the final episode was about marine plastic. And it has ignited this fire under the UK's ass to fight marine plastic. And then I happened to do a beach clean just after the last episode and it blew up. So I literally didn't expect that to see that coming at all. But um, then it made me realize, right, people care. People want to know about this. I'm going to talk about this. And maybe, how long has it been now? I've been talking about it a lot for about six months. I probably had like five negative messages. And the rest of it's been overwhelmingly positive. I get messages every day. Sorry. Well,
2: well, I mean, what what can someone say that's negative about it?
0: Um like it's hypocritical because I do other things which are unsustainable. Like I'm a blogger. My whole life is based around consumerism and travel, which are not very sustainable, which I totally understand. And I've openly spoken about that. But um, I feel like it doesn't mean that I can't be sustainable in other areas of my life and try and make an effort. I mean, I'm vegan and I fight plastic. At least I'm doing something rather than nothing. And,
2: and the message has a ripple effect when the mass, yes. you know, people on mass scale are more conscious of the effect that plastic has and exactly. change their habits.
0: Yeah, literally, like I get messages every si- every day not one five or 10 messages a day from people saying that they've changed something like i got one this morning when i was walking back from the gym saying zana i bought a reusable tumbler i've been taking it into starbucks every day okay. and getting my iced coffee in my tumbler i did that because of you or i get something really big where a teacher will say to me i've been teaching all of my students about ocean plastic and we've all done projects about ocean plastic this year i'm like wow this is like Having actually doing something and it feels so satisfying so satisfying, like so much more satisfying than just talking about smoothies and squats, you know? So I'm very glad that I diversified, even if it was scary AF.
2: And, you know, at a high level, if yeah. if someone listening wants to, I guess, be more conscious about the plastic in their life, mm-hmm. what, are, what are a few of your sort of easiest tips to implement that have the biggest effect?
0: Yeah. Okay. It's basically buy some reusable products and use them. Um, that's the because people like to buy cute things. He's holding Let's a reusable thing. bottle right now. See your um,
2: yep, re- reusable um, water Hell bottle.
0: Yeah. That's my boyfriend's one. I have like six because I really like having pretty ones. Um, so yeah, like get nice, cute, reusable products which you can use on a daily basis. So I have a keep cup for my coffee. I have my own line of reusable water bottles which have profits going to an ocean charity. Um, if you want to get one of those, hit me up. Um, so I have reusable bottle, reusable cuttery I take in my bag. I take Tupperware with me. I take a reusable straw with me. If you do that, have like those five essentials in your bag, you are going to avoid so much plastic, so much plastic. Like if you buy one plastic bottle of water, that takes six times the amount of water that's in the bottle to produce the bottle itself. It's such an inefficient production process. And if you don't need to drink bottled water, I understand if you're somewhere where you can't drink the tap water. I get that. But if you can drink tap water, drink the fricking tap water mm. out of your reusable bottle. Like It just doesn't make any sense not to. So.
2: It's amazing. Like I know traveling through Marrakech
0: mm.
2: a couple of weeks ago, just how few places had glass bottles. Mm. It was like, I was just like, Oh, I need to fill up and drink at the hotel. Yeah. Cause I knew that there they had the proper tap water. Yeah. Um, out and about, it was just plastic bottles. And in the streets, just plastic bottles everywhere.
0: Yeah. And also they don't have efficient waste management and recycling schemes in a lot of countries. Um, I've been to Sri Lanka recently and did a beach in there. And it's one of the, considering how small Sri Lanka is, right? Think about how tiny Sri Lanka is compared to the world. It's the fifth biggest marine plastic polluter in the world. Wow. I know. And that's because they have no waste management system, no recycling system. They just, they only have one landfill in the whole country and it's overflowing. So...
2: Is it just, what, there's just not enough space or... I
0: just don't think they've built the infrastructure to support how many people they get there now. Yeah. So the plastic is crazy there. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, it just... It, it's not just about the decisions which we make on a daily basis, but it's about helping these countries to build a system to handle their waste because we at least have a recycling system. They don't. So it's a big issue.
2: And I, I know you've mentioned a couple of documentaries, but mm-hmm. in, in a brief sort of summary, what are the, the physical effects? Of how is the ocean suffering from the plastic?
0: Oh, so many ways. Basically, we're set to have more plastic in the ocean than fish by 2050, which It's not just because of the plastic that's going in. It's also because we're overfishing. And also, guys, if you care about the ocean, please don't eat fish because I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because fishing is one of the biggest contributors to marine plastic waste as well, because on fishing boats, they just dump the nets. That's why they're able to make the fabric of my swimsuits out of recycled fishing nets because people dump so many fishing nets in the ocean after they've used them. It's crazy.
2: So your, anyway, your, your job's done when you can no longer make your swimwear.
0: Yeah, exactly. If I can't make my swimwear anymore, then the world is in a good place. So yeah, and basically we produce 300 million tons of plastic every year and any, anywhere between 8 and 14 million tons of plastic go into the ocean every year. That's about truckload every minute. It's crazy. If you think about...
2: Truckload it, every...
0: minute. Minute. If you think about the the coastline of the world, that's like a bag every two meters on the coastline. It's so much plastic, mate. It's crazy. It's in the absolute depths of the ocean. We can't get it out.
2: And it's just leaching into the water, I guess.
0: Yeah. And it's breaking down. So plastic doesn't biodegrade. It never goes away. There's this concept of away in inverted commas, but away doesn't exist because plastic continues to exist forever. It just breaks down into smaller pieces. And ultimately in the, in the ocean, it ends up as being plastic dust. These tiny, tiny, tiny pieces of plastic, which eventually even plankton can eat. So once they get into like fish, plankton, get into the food system, it's horrific. There's dolphins now dying because they've got such a high level of plastic toxicity in their system that they're dying from that because they're eating the other fish which contain plastic. It's crazy.
2: Out of sight, out of mind.
0: Yeah, have oh. you... If you haven't seen a plastic ocean, you haven't seen about the birds and stuff. You've seen about the birds. There's like, oh my God, one million se- seabirds die a year from ocean plastic. And that's because the parents see plastic floating on the ocean and think it's fish. They pick up the plastic and they feed it to their children. And the baby's stomachs get so full of plastic that they can't function. So they die like from starvation because they can't eat normal food because their stomach is full of plastic. I know it's like really sad and depressing, guys, but it's what's happening. So we need to know about it and not close our ears. But yeah, it's like pretty intense,
2: and it's something that we can all make
0: positive changes. Positive and
2: changes and significant. We can all have a significant, significant effect on it every day. Oh my god! Because plastic is a part of most people's lives every day. Who yeah, um, are not thinking about it. And you know, the, all these documentaries you've mentioned. I'm not an expert in this area, and I'm yeah, you know, i myself. am only becoming more conscious about it in the last six months. So yeah, um.
0: No, so I got really conscious. It's
2: not thing. like if you're losing plastic, using plastic that you, you're a bad person, you're doing something wrong. You know, this is just about becoming more conscious and understanding the of yeah. you
0: know,
2: what we're buying and how it's affecting the earth. And
0: exactly. Those. Like if you think that you can't make an impact, if you literally switch from using one takeaway coffee cup a day, which is lined with plastic and has a plastic lid to a reusable one every day, that saves you 23 pounds of plastic every year. So if if you make that one switch every day, you've made that much of a saving to the plastic waste every year. So think about how many switches you can make in your daily life and how much you could save. It's literally incredible. Like Every single person can have an impact. So just don't feel like, oh, nothing I do matters. Everything
2: everybody does matters. So... Just make
0: some switches. And if you're part
2: of a family, that that's just a compounding effect, you know, when exactly. you have four or five people in, t- in a household.
0: Yeah, or if you if you work at a business, I did a talk at Facebook the other day and they're basically going to like get the whole office is giving up plastic water bottles that are all switching over so to reusable. And they have how many thousand employees in London? Mm. So if you can get your own business to change or your school to change or an organization that you're involved in to change, then you can have such a massive impact. So just talk about it as well. There's a really good book called How to Give Up Plastic. And the whole like last three chapters are all about the biggest impact you can have is talking about it. Because yes, we can make our daily changes and they do have an impact. But if you can influence five other people to make daily changes, then you've had five times the impact. So just talk about it and talk to people.
2: If, if anyone has any other questions as well, they'll have all of your direct contact details. And
0: Fantastic. And
2: reach out and Hit me in on your photos and send you a slide <laughs> in like a dolphin and send you a
0: <laughs> Like a slippery dolphin. <laughs>
2: Let's, um, let's move on to health, working out mm-hmm. and eating. Yes. Let's, let's start with working out. What's your typical workout sort of regime? How do you stay fit and active? What
0: It is so varied. I haven't trained for the last five days because my life is really weird. Like I'm constantly traveling, right? So I'm never just here like going to the gym regularly. Um, I remember back in the day, oh, back when I used to have a regular routine, I used to go to the gym five days a week and I used to lift weights consistently. And my whole book is based around weight training. And that was my life. For like five years, I trained with weights consistently. But since my business has grown and it's diversified and I travel quite extensively for work, my routine is just all over the place. Like I was away this weekend, so didn't train for five days, but then now I should be able to train for the next four days but then I won't be able to train for three days. So it's just like really whatever I can fit in. Sometimes I lift weights. Sometimes I do classes. Sometimes I go for a run. Sometimes I work out at home. It's literally whatever I can do. And I don't stress about like having a strict routine because I just can't.
2: So it's like <laughs> you just move when you can.
0: Exactly. And like just don't put pressure on myself.
2: I saw you were in Grace. Is it Grace? Yes. Recently?
0: Yeah. Didn't train once out there. I'm trying. No. <laughs>
2: It's so much harder when you're jumping around from place to place. Yeah, You've got all the added extra decisions of what are you going to do today from an activity point Mm -hmm. of view and eat and you know, going to a cool restaurant or cafe.
0: Yeah. Well, I was there with the tourism board and our routine was packed from like 7 a.m. through till 10 p.m. So if I wanted to train, I would have had to get up at 5.30 and I was getting home late and I just thought it's not a priority this week. I just need to get this done. So, yeah, it just for me working out, is a priority when I have time, but sometimes work comes first. A lot of time works come first, work comes first. So it's fine. I'm lucky enough that I've been to fitness for quite a long time now that I don't need to be too strict with myself. And I still say, stay fit and healthy.
2: So <laughs> and, and and eating wise, what what's your sort of standard breakfast, lunch and dinner?
0: Well, it varies. So I am plant based. So breakfast tends to be depending on the time of year In winter it's porridge or oatmeal as they say in America and other countries. But I have porridge or in the summer, I have a smoothie, lunchtime, maybe a salad or like veggie burger and sides, sweet potato, veggies. Dinner tends to be something really big, like a big curry, big burrito, big. I like to eat a lot in the evenings. Like that's when I have my big feed. Like evenings, I need a big feed. And then dessert as well, which is usually like, dates. Uh, Literally, <laughs> Simon came in today and I had a date in my mouth <laughs> full
2: of cashew butter because that's
0: like my favorite thing to eat. So, I need I read, to have
2: that. so I've read something about you and nut butter.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's an addiction there. It's strong. And I, I can't give it up. So yeah, I, I eat a lot of nut butter. So yeah, I, I eat dates with nut butter in the evenings or like apple with peanut butter, anything with nut butter, nut butter out the jar. Yeah. So I snack hummus, I eat so much hummus. I love hummus. Yeah. Hummus is 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 life. (laughs) Hummus is life. It is. Somebody said to me the other day, um, you're like a hummus sapien. Do you know what I mean? Not a hummus sapien, a hummus sapien. I'm I'm literally a human hummus. Like I'm obsessed with it. I eat so much. So yeah, lots of hummus. Hummus and pitta. Somebody told me that hummus and wholemeal pitta is a complete protein. So that's an excuse to eat it every day for me. I
2: think hummus is just perfect food for a a meal, a snack, everything like
0: in all areas of life, hummus is perfect.
2: <laughs> and when, when did you sort of transition to a plant-based diet? You said you grew up with the standards of yeah. like British diet. Oh, yeah. When, when did you move to cutting animal products out?
0: So I used to be that person who took the piss out of anybody who was vegetarian or vegan, right? So I'd be like, oh my God. So if my friend was veggie, I had an old friend called Jenny who was veggie. And if she wants to go out for dinner, I'd be like, don't take me to a vegetarian restaurant. What the hell am I going to eat? Like I was one of those people. What a dick. And here I am now, a vegan. But um, how times change. And yeah, I used to like really be very closed minded about the whole thing. And I actually, how bad is this? At university, I watched Cowspiracy and I watched them all. And I didn't change because I was like, I don't want to know about this right now. Which is very closed minded of me. But I think that was where I was in my headspace back then. And then about two years ago, I started to get into meditation and mindfulness. And that really like my perception shifted on life and i became much more open minded with everything like not just food but like everything in life i was just much more like yeah i'm open to anything like i'll i'll listen to anybody else's opinion i'll yeah i just wasn't as judgmental or closed minded as i had been um, when i was younger which thank god and then basically what happened i watched documentary before the flood you know before the flood is by leonardo yeah, Lena, DiCaprio. yeah. so oh, i watched that it. and i gave up red meat And I made a YouTube video. And it's so funny to watch it back now. I still have it on my channel. And I say, I'm going to give up red meat. Don't worry, guys. I'm not going to go vegan or anything. (laughs) (laughs) Next thing you know, I start looking into ethical meat in inverted commas. Sorry, lots of inverted commas in this podcast. So I start looking at ethical meat. And I couldn't find anything that I was satisfied with. I was like, ethical meat doesn't exist. And I spent months, like my boyfriend was on it. He was at work every day, sending me like different farms that he'd found that he thought would look more ethical and sustainable. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll try this. And I remember what happened was I ordered this chicken from this company who did slow raised chickens. And I got this chicken in the mail. And then I thought to myself, read more on the website, right? So I went on the website and it said, oh, these chickens live for 90 days. I'm like, 90 days? That's a slow raised chicken. My mum's chickens live for nine days. Years, my mum doesn't mm. kill our chickens, guys. They're her pets. They all have names. So I was like, my mum's chickens live for nine years. Ninety days is not a slow raised chicken. I can't eat this chicken.
1: Yeah.
0: And from that day on, I was vegetarian. So that happened, and that was like two years, almost two years ago now. And I was quite happily veggie. Didn't really want to do the whole vegan thing. I was like, veggie's fine. <laughs> and then I started this Facebook group called the Living Consciously Crew, which is like a environmental support group for people who want to learn more about living sustainable lifestyles and we started doing monthly challenges we did like every month we'd try something different for a week so we did like plastic free we did do meditation every day we did loads of different challenges every month and it got to september last year and we did a vegan challenge and we said we're all going to go vegan for 2 weeks i did the challenge and it was great and i didn't look back that's literally how it happened i did it and then i was like why have i never done this before It just makes so much sense. And then once you're living that lifestyle, you just want to learn as much as you physically can. So I was like literally demolishing information about veganism, like reading every single book and every single article, listening to every single podcast. Like I've told you guys before, I like to study. So I just went in and then I was like, oh my God, why did I, why was I just veggie for eight (laughs) months? Like, why didn't I do this sooner? So yeah. Then I went vegan and then I haven't really gone back. I still call myself flexi, like flexi vegan, although I'm vegan like ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. I will never eat meat again. But like my mum, this is just me being 100% honest. My mum has her chickens, Doris and the girls. And mum, whenever I go home, mum will make me a cake. And I'm like, did you use eggs in this? And she's like, no, she definitely has. And it's definitely eggs from her chickens. And I'm like, I'll just let it slide because it's my mum and she cares. And the chickens are so happy. It's Doris. Mm. So like, it's fine with me. So I don't want to be like so regimented that I can't enjoy my mum's cake. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Um, and make, make her unhappy.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, it doesn't, that's not what it's about for me. So yeah, like I am still flexy to a point. So yeah, that's that's why I'm out with food. Long, long chat there.
2: <laughs> no, and I, I like that you said you initially had watched those documentaries, but you were probably not at the right stage of your life to be able to, to be conscious enough to To make the changes afterwards I
0: just wasn't conscious at that point in my life which people listening might be able to
2: relate to because they might have watched some of them and think oh this is not for me yeah but things can change
0: and even when I went veggie I was like yeah I know vegan's better but like mm, just not yet do you know what I mean yeah
2: and when you travel how do you how do you find it
0: interesting it's much easier than people think you just got to not be afraid of being a bit of an awkward turtle like I just go into a restaurant and I'm like hey I'm vegan and sometimes they're like what the hell does that mean but you just explain to them and they're always happy to help. Sometimes, like I did a road trip through the back end of nowhere in Mexico and vegan isn't a thing in the back Mm. end of Mexico. So when I was there, it was kind of like just eating guacamole and chips for two meals a day. But that was fine with me because I didn't really mind and I love guacamole. So
2: (laughs) That's another one like hummus.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can have it on anything. (laughs) So yeah, it's mostly easy, but sometimes not. (laughs)
2: And do you, I mean, I didn't go into this before, but do you take any supplements or um, I guess from a training perspective or just from a veganism perspective?
0: B12 every day. Um, In the winter, I take vitamin D. Maybe I should take it in the summer as well, but it's it's a heat wave in London right now, guys. So I'm not taking it. so hot. So
2: hot. I think I've come in probably like best one or two weeks of the year.
0: You have literally hit the jackpot, mate. It's never like this. We've got Wimbledon on.
2: Wimbledon's on. England, England is still in the world Cup. Yeah, and it's, and it's hot. 28 or 30 degrees.
0: It's <laughs> like you are so lucky. What was I saying?
2: We were talking about the supplements. So, oh, B, yeah. so B12, B12, which is one D.: with, and vitamin D, which I've spoken a lot about. so Yeah,
0: sometimes um, I take iron. depends on how yep. I feel um, and the time of the month. So sometimes I take iron, and then what else do I take? Protein powder. Yep. I do take a nice plant-based protein powder, which is like very nice ingredients.
2: Is that a UK-based?
0: Yeah, it's called Form Nutrition, if anybody has heard of it. Um, It's my friend's brand. But it's very wholesome ingredients, tastes great. They have a peanut-salted caramel flavor, so it's great. So yeah, I have that, not every day, but like probably four days a week, I'll have some protein powder just in a smoothie or something. So yeah, that's probably all that I mainly supplement with.
2: (laughs) Sounds sounds pretty similar to myself. So I think we're coming to the end of, Mm -hmm. of this episode, and we've spoken about quite a lot. I would love, though, to know from a time management point of view, any tips or tricks that you have. I'm sure the listeners are thinking, how the hell does this woman fit so much into every, every day, every week? <laughs> like, what, 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 what are you doing from an organization point of view?
0: I am very organized. <laughs> if you haven't guessed. So yeah, I have lists, spreadsheets, calendars coming out of my ears. I have an electronic calendar, which like everything goes in. And my one tip, which I always say to people, which I do every single day without fail, even weekends, as people make people think, makes me a little bit crazy. But I will do a to-do list the night before, and it will be planned to a very fine detail. So it'll be like up at I get up at every every day, by the way, guys, and I go to bed at ten, so I have a long day. I get up early. I'm a morning person. People think I'm crazy, but I like the mornings. So. Yeah, I have this list and it's like get up at 5.20, out the house 5.30, gym by 6, finish by 7, home 7.30, breakfast by 8, shower by 8.30, out by 9, meeting at King's Cross, W1T, this is the postcode, blah, 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 blah. And I'll I'll have planned my journey so I know how I'm getting there and what time I'm going to get there. And I'll write down what time I need to leave that meeting. Like everything is planned so that my whole day is like absolutely seamless. And another thing, that's like my main thing which helps me be very, very scheduled and organized, get everything done. Another two things, number one, put your phone in airplane mode. I have no notifications on my phone. Like that's the one thing I have turned on, which we just saw on my phone now, but I have no notifications turned on. So when you were messaging me earlier, Simon, I didn't see it. (laughs) Luckily I was on my laptop, but I don't have any notifications on my phone. So my phone cannot distract me when I'm working and I have it on airplane mode if all else fails. And then what was my third one? Oh yeah, I recently... Simon just met a lovely lady called Ruth, who is my new assistant. And that has changed my life. That has actually changed my life. And I've meant to, for years, hire people because I've been running these businesses on my own for six years and I've always drowned. And I like, couldn't, I didn't used to be able to cope with everything. Like I'd have meltdowns, but I <laughs> literal meltdowns. But I still somehow managed to get things done. Like If you think about it, guys, I have to get so much content up. I have two YouTube videos going up a week, which I edit myself. I have like two blog posts a week, all the social media content and then all the businesses and whatnot and emails and brand deals. And when I think about it all, it scares me. But hiring somebody has literally changed my life. Like, oh, my God, she just worked all weekend for me to do a project because I I couldn't do because my laptop's been broken until today. So hiring people and not being afraid to delegate. When you get to the point when you can do that, I probably could have done it like two years ago, but I was too scared to delegate because if you're like me, you might be a bit of a control freak and you believe that nobody can ever do anything to your standards, but they totally can. You just have to educate them. So yeah, I think delegating, don't be afraid of delegation, to-do lists, switching off notifications, and that'll probably be my my main ones.
2: Some great tips. I, I do similar with my notifications. Yeah. And I don't even have the vibration on my phone.
0: No, I don't know. So if that. it's
2: going off, if someone's ringing me and I'm at the dinner table or at a meeting, I can't feel it. I don't know about it.
0: Yeah. And also something I want to say, which is really quite an unpopular opinion, but I'm just going to say anyway, is there are times in your life when you just don't have work life balance and that's okay. Everybody's like, you need to have this work life balance, Dana. You need to like have a day off, blah, 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 blah. If I'm not going to burn out, I'm fine with not having a work-life balance for a while because I'm 25. Like I'm building multiple businesses. I am totally fine with not having balance for the next few years because maybe when I get to 30, I can be like, cool, now I'll have my weekends off. Now I'll have all my evenings off. Now I've got a team of people who can help me run these businesses. But I'm not at that point yet. And I've accepted the fact that I have to grind for the next few years. And like, maybe I used to stress myself out by trying to be balanced, so I used to be like, I have to have two evenings off a week, and I have to have one full day off a week. And if I don't do that, I'm a bad human because I'm not living a balanced lifestyle. But I actually feel better mentally and physically by not forcing myself to have time off. And I know that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, but I know that I enjoy my work.
2: And yeah, that, I mean, that's what I was going to yeah. say. You a lot, a lot of, even all your work, mm. you're enjoying. you your, loving your it. passion. But it sounds like you really understand your path. Yeah. When you understand your path, someone yeah. from the outside can easily say, hey, you don't have any work-life balance. But if you know your path and you're like, yeah, yeah the next three or five years, I'm going to grind and this is where I'm going to get to. And yeah, I'm really content with that. I understand it. It makes it a lot easier for you to handle.
0: Exactly. Like I know there's an end point. I know I'm not going to work like this forever. And I think like, don't be afraid of grinding for a while, guys. Like I've spoken to so many female entrepreneurs and CEOs. Sorry, it's very hot in this room, in this room. I hope you're
2: okay. Um, <laughs> it's like a sauna. I'm overheating in here.
0: <laughs> but yeah, um, I've spoken to many female CEOs and entrepreneurs, and they've all said like, yeah, there's been a time in my life when I've lost my balance, but I would never have regretted it once because my business wouldn't be where it is now if I hadn't done that. Like, you have to have those periods and like obviously look after yourself if you are going to burn out. Stop. Like, I do do that sometimes when things get a little bit overwhelming. I'm like, cool, I need a day off now. Like, I need one. But like, sometimes just got to grind. Do it.
2: <laughs> your, your top places that you look to, whether it's books or people for inspiration. Oh, oh,
0: okay. So there's, a, there's a blogger in the UK called The Food Medic. You guys should all check her out. I just had drinks with her last night. She's like a huge inspiration for me because she's a really close friend. But um, her brand is very solid, very evidence-based, very authentic, so professional. Like I just admire her and her brand and her blog and everything that she's doing. And like, I'm always happy to celebrate other people in my industry and be like, you're awesome. Mm. Um, so she's amazing. And I'm so lucky to call her one of my best friends, but, um, like she's smashing it. And I always, every time I meet her, she inspires me. Another one is somebody called doctor's kitchen. And he's another really good friend of mine who you should all, rec- all follow. And he advocates a mostly plant-based diet. He's a doctor. And, um, He's just every time I hang out with him, we just motivate and inspire each other. When we talk about our businesses and where we're going and what we're doing. And I just leave him feeling like, oh my God, I'm so excited for life. And he's smashing it. So those two people are huge inspirations for me. And then in terms of books, at the moment, most of the books I'm reading are more like eco, um, sustainability, things like that. But a really good book that I enjoyed was called Essentialism um, by Greg McCowan. And I recommend that book to everybody because it's very good at making you realize what your priorities are. So, yeah, highly recommend that one.
2: Perfect. And I'll have all of those in the show notes. Yes. And and I think your point on celebrating other inspirational people, mm-hmm. it goes back to you at the start, you know, you alluded to the fact that your community has stuck with you for four years and it's a genuine following. And that comes through the fact that if you genuinely care about your community, you will introduce them to other people. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about you. And I think you know, I can really feel that.
0: Thanks. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who don't want to celebrate other bloggers, and I'm like, guys, if one of us does well, it opens doors for everybody else. Yeah. So, like, if somebody gets a book deal, for example, like back in the day when nobody had book deals, when the first blogger got a book deal, I was like, hell yes, because that means more of us can get them. Like, we should be celebrating each other always.
2: <laughs> Finally, I um, I've, I've got my appetite back. Like I mentioned I had some food poisoning. Yeah, sounds I, very rough when I left Marrakesh. Um, Coming back a couple more days in London, mm-hmm. where do you recommend I go to to get a feed?
0: I'm going to take you tomorrow night to Vegan Nights. Guys, oh my God, you need to go to Vegan Nights. It's like this massive food festival with about 20, 30 vegan food trucks from every cuisine you could ever imagine. The Vietnamese steamed buns will change your life. So you need to go there and I'm going to take you there. Um, and you also need to go to pharmacy, which I know they have one in New York, but the one in the UK is great. Also Dirty Vegan London, if you want some junk food. Dirty Vegan okay. Yeah, they have a pop-up in Kensington right now and I'm going on Monday and it's amazing. So yeah, that's my main ones.
2: All right, Zana Van Dyke. Thank you. Thank you very much for our conversation. It was very, very raw and genuine i'm sure all the listeners will really appreciate that
0: well thank you very much and
2: uh yeah i feel like we've got great insight into your life and i look forward to seeing everything that you're up to and the journey from here
0: thank you very much
2: and that's this week's episode of the plant proof podcast connect with myself and the plant proof community at plantproof.com and at plant underscore proof on instagram Don't forget to sign up to the newsletter to receive our free plant-based nutritional information, including recipes, important blogs, and much more direct to your inbox. Until next time, folks, I'm your host, Simon Hill. Keep your spacesuit plant-proof.